Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello, you are listening to the China Sports Insider Podcast. My name is Haig Balian, and I am with Mark Dreyer, the author of Sporting Superpower, an insider's view on China's quest to be the best. Mark, we are back after we took a week off for, for the uh, Qingming holiday. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked to Cameron Wilson. He was locked down in Shanghai. He's still locked down. And he's still locked down. Day 27. I, you know, yeah. and that's obviously the big news here in China. And, you know, I just, it's just, I feel so bad for people in Shanghai. So far, you know, just to give a lot of people a little bit of context, Beijing seems to be holding firm. I think a lot of, a lot of the conversations I've had over the last week in particular is like, is it coming here? Are we going to see similar lockdowns? And, you know, we've moved on from like, everyone's going to die. Uh, although, unfortunately, the, the over 80s are still largely, well, sure. at least half unvaccinated. So so that's a significant issue. But it's it's the reaction here to this sort of COVID zero policy that they're pursuing. Like everyone's on lockdown, you know, for, for indefinitely. Cameron was told, prepare for 48 hours. And 27 days later, he has still has absolutely no idea about when he's going to get out. I mean, he's been tested I don't know how many times at this point. I mean, he's just, it's a city of 25 million. Yes, a few people have come out, but most of them are still under lockdown. Yeah, obviously, we're, we're you know, any any of our listeners in Shanghai, we're definitely thinking of you, hoping that this ends for and, you and very, elsewhere. very soon. And I, elsewhere, of I course. I saw one yeah. prediction uh, where it was an estimate because, of course, the, just getting information right now is very tough. But Japanese bank Nomura had said that um, they figure 23 cities right now across China have um, full or, or partial lockdowns. Right. Uh, and I forget the exact number, but it was it was hundreds of millions of, of people in total who were who were potentially locked down to some extent. Well, there's a lot to talk about this week, Mark. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about Zhou Guanyu, another race uh, and another near miss. Women's ice hockey, they're killing it right now at the World Championships. An Eileen Gu sighting yeah. here in Beijing. Yeah. But after that, we have an explosive interview with Rudy Ying. You know, we've talked about KRS and, and Chinese ice hockey a lot over the last 26, 28 odd episodes that we've done about the show. Yeah. This is the first time we're actually talking to one of the players. 
And he's been involved for, you know, he's talked about 26, 28. He's been involved for 20 years yeah. inside the Chinese ice hockey system. No one knows it better than him. And wow, did he ever have some uh, interesting things to say? Honestly, I think, he, I mean, he was incredibly honest. I think we're going to have some response to this uh, interview. <laughs> You're going to want to listen to it. So stick around and listen to it. But first, let's get to this week's top stories. Uh, so another race, another near miss for Joe Guan Yu. What happened? So, uh, yeah, uh, 11th place. So he's finished 10th, 11th, and 11th in his first three Grand Prix races. Uh, Top 10, of course, score points. So you have to say that's been a very, very good start. Frustrating that he's narrowly missed out on the points on two of those three races. Uh, There's a funny thing because we talked previously about his name. And of course, he's Joe Guanyu. Joe is the family name. But a lot of people in F1, a lot of commentators are kind of getting stick online because they call him Guanyu Joe. And, And he had actually requested... Through to, to through F1 officially, please call me Joe Guanyu. And I kind of, I noticed that Alfa Romeo had tweeted during the race. They they talked about their two drivers uh, and they called them, uh, the two drivers, of course, Joe Guanyu and Valtteri Bottas. They referred to them as Joe and Valtteri. And I was like, <laughs> like, yeah. if you're calling him, you're, you're his team. And if you're referring to one by the family name and the other by the first name, like, how is the rest of the grid supposed to get on top of this? Like, it's a minor thing. I realize this. But he'd, it'd become a little bit of a talking point. He'd been asked, how do you want us to say your name? And then actually the team contacted me and said, by, by the way, Mark, like, it's not our fault. He actually asked us to call him Joe. So it's Joe Guanyu in that order, but Joe for short. And they mm. said, because it's, it's easy for the engineers to say, because it sounds like Joe, J-O-E. Right. So, right, so, right. so it's it's Joe Guanyu, but Joe for short, and it's Valtteri Bottas, Valtteri for short. So anyway, <laughs> that's the latest on Joe Guanyu. But yeah, fingers crossed he's got uh, Italy's in Switzerland this week okay. uh, uh, for, for a week off. Um, and then, well, week between races. And then it's the uh, one of the Italian Grand Prix coming up uh, in about 10 days time. Let's talk about women's ice hockey. Mm. Uh, they're in Poland right now. For... So the, there's two lots. The the K the women's K Kunlun team, the the Shenzhen Vancouver's are still. They're in the playoffs right now in Russia, and they have been on an incredible run. Right, right. right. Uh, but they had quite a lot of new players. The bulk of Team China from the Olympics have reformed in Poland for the World Championships. Now it's done by different tiers. There are um, uh, five or six teams in in China's division. And uh, they had, they've well, so far they're three for three with uh, one double-digit win. So very impressive. Uh, and uh, so they're on, hopefully on, uh, they're going to get promoted. Only the top team gets promoted. It's kind of like a Davis Cup system, if people know that from tennis. Um, if you if you do well, you know, one cycle, then you go promoted into the, to the right. next league. Yeah. Because uh, there's just too many teams to have them all in one big competition. Any standouts there? Who's, who's playing well? Well, a lot of the players, uh, Rachel Rachel Linus, who who we've had on the show before, is playing. Kim Newell is not. I think she possibly taking some time off because Tia Chan, one of uh, one of the backup goalies from the Olympics, is is in nets for Team China. Uh, really interesting that Melanie Jew, who was played, she played more than a hundred games for for the for the Kunlun franchise uh, over the years, and she was pretty disappointed to miss out on Olympic selection. Uh, I talked to her actually, featured her in in my book. The book that you're talking is that is that Sporting Superpower, <laughs> an insider's view on China's quest to be the best. Is that is that the book you you you're referring to? It actually is. I can yeah. since you mention it. I, why don't I just tell uh, all our, our listeners that there's actually an Easter week promotion running right now on Amazon. <laughs> so if if people want to get a, a, a 
knockdown copy of the book. Uh, now would be the time to do it. Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. Um, anyway, Mel is not playing, but she's been roped in as an assistant coach. So really, really happy for her that she's still a central part of the Team China setup. She, she spent four years of her life building up towards the Olympics and missed out on that opportunity. But great to see that she's still involved. And great to see the team doing so well. Hopefully they can get two more wins and then uh, get that promotion. One last story before we get to, again, a very explosive interview with Rudy Ying. Eileen Gu, who's been in Beijing. We've seen her on social media. Uh, she's you know been around Beijing. She, there was a, an actual sighting of her at a place really near and dear to my heart, Home Plate. Yeah, so any any uh, Beijing residents or former Beijing residents will probably know if, if you're part of the foreign expat community Home plate barbecue uh, right in the middle of Sanlinton. So I think she's been looks like she's been staying at the Intercontinental yeah. in 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 Beijing, right. and she's she's sent a, posted a lot of photos of that, doing a lot of modeling shoots. And she was there with her mother and her uh, actually a colleague of mine was 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 there at the time, and I was like, oh you know sort of like happy to take a picture and and chat and so on. So uh, yeah, she's she's clearly hanging out in in Beijing indefinitely we don't know how long i think there was quite a lot of discussion like is she going to go back to the u.s yeah. optically that would have been i think a bad move like if she comes in to represent team china and then she's on the next the first flight out uh, but she doesn't start at stanford until the fall so she has time to to hang out and and uh and yeah, do, do her thing in 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 china and, yeah, and beijing you, is where she's been yeah do you reckon she'll be here for the rest of the summer and then I, I would have thought who knows, so. Right? Yeah, yeah, who knows? But but yeah, she's definitely kind of seems happy. Uh, she's she's been pictured a lot, you know, talking about food and Eileen Gu, like it's a bit cliche. But she was pictured a lot with you know eating the 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 dumplings and the red bean uh, <laughs> uh, snack after one of her performances. But uh, obviously embracing her other side, the American side, going to a barbecue place as well. So, <laughs> so, so I guess uh, you know, call it calculated or call it just you know yeah. doing doing her thing. Right. Uh, she was, uh, yeah, still around town. Oh, well, let's get to our interview with uh, with Rudy. Mark, you guys have a bit of a history. Um, you've been messaging for a while now. Like, can, you, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, how do you how do you know him? So I wrote a piece. Uh, it was kind of when we first started the podcast, actually, Haig, uh, about um, the Chinese ice hockey situation and how messed up it was. And it got quite a lot of reaction. And actually, Rudy contacted me. He emailed me to say, hey, would love to chat. I read your piece. Uh, it was sent around. He said, he, you know, his mum had seen it in a in one of the, the the hockey parent groups, and so it was kind of like getting out there in the hockey community. And he reached out. We had a chat, which um, you know, was off the record uh, back then. Um, but you know, as as people will see, we go over a lot of those things, and he's now happy to kind of you know taking a bit of a break and happy to speak on the record about many of those things. So super fascinating. Really, really thoughtful guy. Um, and it's just been great to to have that sort of channel of communication with someone who is is kind of open to sharing. You know, and I think there was a lot of like, you know, we speculated we speculated a lot. There's a lot of speculation about what was going on, you know, on the Chinese side or in the Chinese camp uh, during this, you know, really stressful time. And it's really interesting to have an insider actually talk about that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I'm excited for people to hear it. Uh, I think we should just stop talking and let's get, get to, to it. it. All right, here's here's Rudy Ying. Rudy, great to have you in here. Thanks so much for coming. Yeah, really happy to be here. Just catch us up. Like uh, we have the World Championships, uh-huh. uh, which Team China is playing later this month mm-hmm. in Europe. Yet you are here. What's going on? I have some injuries, okay. so I want to sit some time out and um, 
and also kind of reassess my career as far as direction and stuff goes. But as far as this time I'm setting up because I have a few injuries, I have a knee problem right now. And, uh, based on my previous, it's not, it's not the first time this has popped up. So I'm kind of taking it slow this time. And, uh, I figured they got a pretty good squad over there and they're not missing me. So they should be doing just fine. So you've been playing hockey for how many years now? Uh, 20, 20 years now. Wow. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of time off probably doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, since I turned pro, I haven't had much time off. Um, not even in the summers, because just the way the scheduling works. Yeah. Uh, most guys, they get maybe two or three months at the end of the season to kind of relax before they go into summer training. But it seems like every season after it ends, I have to go to uh, world championships. Yeah. So that's another month and a half of training camp. And then when you get back from that, there's the Chinese regional championships. Yeah. And then by the time that's over, it's mid-June. And then it's time to start training for next season. So unfortunately, the only big uh, time off I've had is my injuries. <laughs> so... And it feels like, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like here, perhaps in North America and Europe, there are, there are those longer off seasons. Whereas here, it's a little bit kind of nonstop. You're always with the camp or it mm. sort of feels like it has been for, for you for the last year at least. So there's, there's, you know, you've got more training when you're in session and there's less off season time as well. Yeah, I suppose it's a different system, I guess. Um, like in the US, they don't have a national team year round you know they just assemble something before tournaments but in china traditionally there's always a year-round national team and i think that's the direction they want to go in the next couple of years which is going to be stressful to say the least for for whether management or players or coaches or whatever but yeah that's kind of resulted in me not having much time off like i i'd like to go back to the u.s for training in the summers but like last season before the uh, the whole COVID thing i was back there for 10 days which is, you know, substantially less than I would like, but, um, but that's just the way it is, you know? Now let's go back about a year or so, mm. which is, I think when we first kind of connected and you seemed, um, I'm trying to search for the right word here. Uh, stressed, <laughs> a lot of that going around. <laughs> tr stressed, I think, uh, it just seemed that there was a lot of unknowns back then. We didn't know who was going to be playing for team China at the Olympics we didn't really know if the NHL players were going to be playing against China in the same group. That was another one. You didn't know when you were next going to get to see your family and you'd be in yeah. camp for like yeah. months and months and months. What do you remember about that time? Before we talk about the Olympics, what do you what do you remember about that time? Well, like the, the general dialogue, the general feeling around that time was just uncertainty, which is not something you want, whether from the training perspective or, or like we, it was just missing a sense of direction. Um, we were just kind of there. We There was no end date. Like I said, I didn't know when I was going to see my family again. There was no uh, real plan or real, uh, like looking back on it, everything leading up to the Olympics felt really rushed and really like a last minute, you know, emergency situation kind of thing, um, which is odd to say the least with all the planning that's gone into everything. Like, I feel like uh, this is not directed at anybody, but I feel like things should have been taken care of better. Um, for example, uh, in April of last year, they told us they had a meeting with us and they told us, you know, we've got to work hard because this is it. This is the squad. We're not going to get any players. We're not going to get any American players or anything or any whatever. So you got to work hard. And then literally a month later, they said, we're going to Russia. So <laughs> it's just very conflicting stuff. And when you're inside of that system in a high stress situation and not, not so much stress from the training, but stress from just just being camped up and, you know, with, with the whole COVID thing or whatever, 
it's not something you want to hear from the management. Now, the Russia thing was because of COVID, so to, to play, the, but this is when you joined up with basically what was the existing KRS, the Kulin Red Star squad, yeah. which did have a lot of international players. Yeah, like, I mean, if we want to go back further to like 2016, I feel like things should have taken a better direction even back then. Yeah. I don't think realistically joining the KHL was the best thing to do for Chinese hockey development in general. Like I was telling uh, my girlfriend yesterday, I was probably the best player in China in 2016. I, I would be comfortable saying that. And I know that I may, I may get hate for that, but I think that's true. And I was nowhere near being able to play in the KHL. So when you set up that team, it's not a realistic stepping stone. It's like trying to jump onto the second floor. It's not possible. I was saying even back then that we should should have had our own league. Because we had a lot of funding, a lot of money, obviously, because of the Olympics. And it just wasn't being poured into the right direction. I figured if you set up a league and then you're willing to pay higher salaries and players from North America would like to come to China to play, then you would slowly raise the level of Chinese hockey. And then the players inside of that system could gradually take a flight of stairs up to the second floor instead of trying to high box jump on the second floor. But, but that's just the way it is. And, and um, yeah, even, even this season, I mean, not a lot of the Chinese guys got to play, even including myself. So when did you first get hooked up with uh, with KRS with with Kunlun like uh, 2016 basically from the beginning yeah they, from they... the beginning I was I was playing juniors in uh, Canada and I heard about this team and it was during the summer so I figured I'd fly out to try out it was me and 13 other native Chinese guys all and... of you had been in in North America yeah no like like uh, well the tryouts the, the tryouts that they held in in Canada in Finland right? oh in Finland yeah okay. it was so other tryouts they had, I think later on, maybe a summer later. Yeah, that was the next season with Mike Keenan, yeah. which is a whole other story. Okay, okay. I have Keenan stories for days. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I flew there and then we tried out. And then, um, yeah, I managed to make the team. And then I figured, well, I, the original plan was to play juniors and then play college and, and then try to turn pro there. But I figured if I could just skip the pipeline, why not just go straight to pro? Yeah. And, that first season was a real double-edged sword for me because it was probably simultaneously the best thing for me and the worst thing. To play with those players and to learn from the Finnish guys and stuff, it was really good for my development. But it was also, looking back on it, I figured maybe it's not so good to skip some development. You know, it's a big jump and you get better, but you're missing some of the crucial stuff in there that takes time to develop. Like I was playing three or four minutes a night in the KHL as an 18-year-old and being absolutely terrified going on the ice. I improved a lot that season, but it also sort of revealed a lot of gaps in my play and yeah. that I had to make up for. Well, I mean, you hear it a lot, like at NHL level, right? You mm. know, the, the, the top draft prospects, is, there's, there's a lot of pressure to get them into the NHL, but then they're playing, if they go in earlier as an 18, 19-year-old, they're playing, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10 minutes a night instead of playing 20-plus in the AHL, where they can yeah. develop on the power play and the penalty kill and basically all facets. And then a year later or a year and a half later, they're just ready. But yeah, it's, it's a good point that you make there. Yeah, so I, I mean, a lot of my faults were really revealed. Like, for, for example, one of my faults is I don't know how to score goals. And I know that sounds weird, <laughs> but I just, like, I never had a scoring touch growing up. I was always a better playmaker. Um, I, 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 like, I had a good shot. All my coaches told me I had a good shot, but I didn't necessarily have the right feel to know when to use it want to shoot it so I was always sort of pulled up into higher levels of play like for example when I was a kid I would always play a year up and then 
from then on, I would go to juniors and I would be playing when I was 15, playing with 17 year olds and so on and so forth. And it was always good for my development because my, the speed at which I think the game and play the game was always quicker, but I never developed a scoring touch at every level. So even later on in my career, I didn't really have a scoring touch. Like I get lucky once in a while. Like I, I always joke about this, with my friends, but like I've never scored the same goal twice. Like I score in all different ways, which I guess is a good thing, but it's also just a representation of just pure luck, I guess. In in your defense, for people who might not have seen you play much, yeah. um, I do remember one goal from maybe a couple of years ago. Mm. Absolutely unbelievable. Like goal of the season contender. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Where you, you take it from like deep in your own end and you go through about four people and then you just... Oh, like, the preseason. Like, was it preseason? Yeah, I think that was preseason. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Let me tell you, I'm a you preseason watched... MVP. <laughs> well, you, you can't score goals. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. You can't score some goals. I'm an absolute menace in exhibition games. You know, <laughs> just yeah. But no, yeah, I like I can score goals. I just I I some people just seem to have a knack for finding the back of the net. And I was right. never one of them. So, okay. um, yeah, and that's one of the things I'm reflecting on in this my hiatus away from the game. I'm just going to jump in here, Rudy, and I'm going to ask about this last year uh, with KRS in mm. Russia. Now, you guys struggled this year, but you essentially had an entire season on the road. Just just from the sense of, you know, not being at home, not being comfortable. What what was the impact of that on, on the team, on you? Oh, it's you know, not good. Like? <laughs> it was a little bit of a, there was a sort of a rift between the native guys and the heritage guys over there because... For whatever reason, the management seemed to turn a blind eye to a lot of the heritage guy stuff, which I understand, but it's kind of, you kind of want equal treatment, you know? So when we were over there, like we couldn't leave the hotel. Technically, we used to sneak out and stuff. I can say that now, but um, the heritage guys could just come and go as they please and their families were there and whatever. And I wasn't able to go over there. Like, like I, when we went over there, my I, I couldn't get family over there. I couldn't do anything. Like it was just a very different set of rules for either one. So that kind of, it gets stressful, you know, with the whole COVID thing being on the road, even when you're home is hard in and of itself. And then you have all these rules on top of that. So for example, a lot of the guys, um, the heritage guys, you know, they're from Canada or the US, but they're living in Russia, which is, you know, it's okay for them, but they can go out to clubs, you know, they can go out to restaurants and go shopping, whatever. And it kind of makes up for it. But for us, we're just in the hotel all day and I got nothing to do. Obviously it's hard. You know, it's, did you guys talk about that within within the team? Well, we we talked about it somewhat, but it's it's like it's a taboo subject, you know. It's just I feel I feel like that's the general consensus around Chinese players in the system is that you can complain all you want, but you know nothing's going to change. So, what's the point? Now you've you know obviously fluent English speak. You spent a lot mm. of time in North America in the States. Like, did you feel sort of like a bridge? between those two groups or were you limited in that you were pigeonholed in the I, Chinese yeah, players? I think even more pessimistic than that, I, I felt like I had an identity crisis where the Chinese players thought I was heritage and the heritage guys thought I was Chinese. So I was kind of left alone, you know, which I had, I had a couple friends who were kind of in the similar situation. So we kind of bonded over that, but that was always a weird thing for me, you know, from, from the surface, it looks like it's a good deal, but in reality, it's kind of, the opposite and then as the season developed it sort of seemed to me that there were kind of mandates from above as to as they were trying to settle on the makeup of, of who's going to play in the olympics and of course mm. everyone wants to whether you're from you know the you know the heritage players these 
it, for for people who who don't know the term, like the North American recruits of of, yeah. of you know most of whom had some sort of Chinese uh, ethnicity or heritage, and there was there was kind of discussion about who's gonna who's gonna get the ice time, and it seemed that in the earlier in the season, a lot of the Chinese players, the local players, were getting very little ice time, but then kind of being brought into the team slightly more. And then was that then causing frictions with the heritage people thinking like, well, I'm going to get squeezed out because this other Chinese player is going to take my place. Yeah. Like, like it just seems like it started in, in as you said, with two groups. Did, did things get better? You just kind of learned to live with it. Like how did that develop as, as the Olympic horizon was kind of looming? See, I don't know if I can just go all out and say everything, but um, <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of, there's a lot of hush and just a lot, of, a lot of talk around the team and obviously a whole lot of, um, you know, non-satisfaction flying around. But yeah, that was obviously part of it was when mandates come down, all everyone has to listen, you know, and it's it's not a conventional KHL club year. It was it was as if Halloween night and national team wore a KHL costume, you know. So it was ultimately it was up to the KHL. Like the KHL club had no power ultimately. It was, it was the Chinese side and it's a lot of, behind the scenes stuff. I'll, I'll just put it that way. And a lot of unfairness going around. And But like I said, there's just not much you can do about it. You know, you just, just got to accept it. If you are, I'll just throw a few things out there, but like if you're looking at the timeline of say the last year, like what mm. were the big moments that were, the, for example, it, was it when NHL players sort of said, yes, we're in? Was it when NHL players, because of course, you know, Canada and China, uh, Canada and the US were in China's group. Was it when they, they pulled out? Uh, was it when you knew who was going to the Olympics? You know, what were the, what were kind of like the key moments? Obviously, the first one was when they announced training. No, actually, I should say the first one was when they announced the training camp was going to be indefinite. And so that that's a story I want to tell, which is we received mandates. Um, like this, early, was, this is when? This was 2020. Um, and we got these emails and like letters coming down to our teams and stuff saying that, hey, there's a camp. You got to go. It's July 15th. It's for two months. They had an end date written on the paper. I was like, wow, this is nice. So it said uh, July 15th to September 15th. 2020. Yeah, 2020. And you'd be compensated for every day or whatever. I was like, great. This is a great deal. We can go. And then I'll still have time to fly to Russia for next season. Because I was still in talks with Quinlan, Quinlan to be in the next season. I was like, great. This is, this is fantastic. We went. And then it was like two months of camp. I was like, all right, this is nice. We get to September 15th and nobody's talking about leaving. We're like, what's what's uh, what's going on here, guys? Like, and they're like, oh yeah, we've uh, we've extended the date indefinitely. It's like a Shanghai lockdown. Yeah, so you're here now. <laughs> oh no, forever. <laughs> I, okay. I was like, I was like, what about? It's like, oh you, yeah, you just get your family to ship your stuff here, and then you stay here for. So yeah, so we never left again. It was like we we went home for maybe five or six days, and then you had to come back, and you never left all the way through to the Olympics. Yeah, so yeah. I think I was home for less than thirty days total. From, in eighteen months, yeah, in eighteen months, and and you you know you you from from what I understand, like you're pretty close with your family, right? For some people, that would be like, hey, I'm <laughs> on the road, great, great, great. Yeah. But like, you know, I think you found it had a tougher time, right? Yeah, like it's just like hockey. Like I feel like professional sports is a stressful thing in and of itself, and people don't take that into account. And especially, I have to point the finger at our team. We don't have a sports psychologist, which I think is weird because all major leagues seem to have one, and we don't. That certainly manifests itself in the performance of our team, I feel like. There's a lot of internal struggles. But yeah, so you want to be in a comfortable place while you're playing hockey. And obviously, lockdown in a school is not 
a great place, you know. Did you guys protest at all? What 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 did you guys say? Like, what was the conversations uh, at that time? Like, it's just not like there's not much you can say. Like, you can you can they they always said yeah you can leave whenever you want. You just won't be able to play in the Olympics. You think well, I want to play in the Olympics, so you know like. You suck it up. Yeah, you suck it up. And what else can you do? Like, you had the freedom to leave. I was, I always made this joke. So when we first went there, and this is another thing I got to uh, reveal all about. But when we first went there, there were three captains. It was me, one guy from Chichihara, and one guy from Harbin. And those two guys were kind of older players. Like, September, I want to say September 15th was the supposed release date. So they left were- September 16th. So you all wore the C, right? Like yeah. usually there's one captain and maybe two or three assistants, but you're all captains. Yeah, we're all captains, which is fine. Like we just, you know, in, in the Chinese culture, captains kind of take care of everyday life or whatever. Yeah. And as soon as they found out it was indefinite, they left. One guy went to get married. One guy went home. They're like, you know what? Screw this. They don't want to stay here all the way to the Olympics. So I stayed. I was like, great. So I became the sole captain of the team, which I was happy to be. And then. But that's what you had to do. Like they said, you can leave anytime you want. It's not like you're locked down. It's not like prison. You can leave. You just probably can't come back. And obviously, I wanted to at least finish my career on a high note. So I thought, got to suck it up. And we were joking too. There was like 18 guys at camp, like 15 of whom had girlfriends coming into the camp. And by the end, they were all single. Because it was... (laughs) So you said finish your career on a high note. Mm. Um, Let me just pick up on that. Where is your career now? And, and and you're sitting out, you know, you said you talked about injuries earlier for the world championships. Yeah. But are you still planning to play hockey? Well, I'm going to decide after I recover from this injury, but I'm, I'm undecided because of a lot of factors. One is obviously I love the sport and I love playing it. But in the past few seasons, I've had a pretty pessimistic revelation. Um, or you could just say it's a realistic realization, which is that Maybe I'm not 100% cut out for the sport. What I mean by that is the game is developed in such a way that talent is foremost in, in all aspects. So when I first, when I grew up playing, I, I lived in Chicago. And my favorite player was Patrick Kane because he had unbelievable skill. Um, so I kind of modeled my game after that because I wasn't the biggest guy growing up and I wasn't the strongest or the fastest. I wasn't. Like I said, I didn't have a scoring touch or anything, but I always had good skill and I always had good hands and I was smart enough to work on areas of my game and stuff, but that was the direction of the game when I was younger and I thought I had a chance. But as the game has developed, guys like Kale McCarr and McKinnon and McDavid have popped up where they're obviously very skilled in every area of the game and they don't have any gaps in their ability, but they're just so unbelievably talented physically that no one else is on their level. Like, I'm sure everybody in the NHL works just as hard, if not harder than Connor McDavid, but he's just physically tight. I met that guy in BioSteel camp, and his acceleration is not something you're, you you train. It's something you have naturally, and then you can build up on that. Um, so going back to what I was saying, I, I think I've come to the realization that maybe I'm not 100% cut out for it. I've managed to make it this far, and I'm very thankful to have been able to make it this far in my career, just based on a combination of skill and persistence and obviously luck and some great mentors along the road. You know, it's it's kind of disheartening to, to, to come to this realization because in the past few seasons, I always thought I wasn't good enough, but I could be better. And I always felt like I could be better. But these past two seasons, I started feeling like maybe this is, this is my limit and this is my peak. And that's still not enough for me to, to comfortably play hockey. You know, like I talked to some coaches, including our current coach, 
and he said like you could play pretty good minutes and put up points in Europe and stuff but I don't really want to play in Europe you know I don't want to be away from home anymore and I um so yeah that's that's the kind of awkward spot that I'm at now for my career so I have to do a lot of thinking about whether or not I find it worth it to keep playing to to suffer through a lot of yeah to suffer through a lot of the you know the hardships of hockey and to to try to enjoy what I love about the sport so I'm trying to weigh the pros and cons and see where it goes from here it's an incredibly like honest and and in some ways raw answer you know I would just maybe put the alternative view and to say look there's only one Conor McDavid there's only a few people at that really really top echelon and you know my hope from from a sort of a you know and and how you get without putting words into your mouth I think you'd probably be on the same side but like you know from our outside perspective of Chinese hockey like things are it's not always a straight line but things have improved things are moving in the right direction if China could, I don't think things are moving in the right direction. If I'm being honest, okay. Um, upon our release from this whole camp, which was a glorious day for everyone, because that's eighteen, like you said, eighteen months. I had a talk with the team leader, and he said that the plan from now is to aim for the Milan Olympics, and to try to. They're going to say they're going to keep the national team together and go to Europe for training and and stay there year round again. Which I don't know anybody in the system who'd be up for that. Who'd be saying, hey, you know. I'm in. <laughs> right, Not a well, single person was in. Well, that, that was where I was going to go with that. It was like your experience thus far and with 2022, if China can somehow qualify by rights for, for 2026, like like they need you there. But if you just think that's a pipe dream and four years of, you know, it's tough because Olympic I'm, cycles. I'm sure that they are going to improve and I'm sure that we're probably going to be able to be there. But I don't think they need me as much as they say they need me, you know, and and... I don't think I have that much to, to offer, which, yeah, I know it's brutally honest, but I think if you want to grow as a player or as a person in that matter, you got to be brutally honest with yourself at least once in a while. And that's only one of the reasons I'm considering uh, perhaps switching fields. The other reason is that, like I said, I don't think we're moving in the right direction. And I always said, from a personal standpoint, I, I don't know where I would play next season. I don't want to spend another season in Russia playing the KHL and Perhaps something we really shouldn't talk about is politically, it's kind of over there right now. Oh, what's, go- what's going on? Uh, I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm sorry. sorry. Um, what's going on? No, uh, I, shouldn't joke. I shouldn't joke about that. But but no, I, I hear you. And, and that's basically, realistically, that's what you have yeah. to face, right? I mean, KRS is not going to be playing in Beijing No, season. and China won't have its own league. And I, unless you're paying me seven figures, I don't want to play in North America um, to be away from family and everything. And no team in right mind's going to pay me six figures, let alone seven. So I don't think I'm a six-figure player. I think I'm high five-figures player. So uh, all those figures put together, all those uh, things put together, I just, it's difficult for me to not want to consider retirement, if that's, uh, if I'm just being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thanks for that answer, Rudy. I yeah, really, that's, really appreciate yeah. that. I'm wondering if I can just go back. What was, like, what was going through your mind when you learned that the NHL players were actually going to be playing in the, uh, in the Olympics? If I'm being brutally honest, when they said the NHL players are going to be playing, I really hope Luke Tardif pulled this out because, is it Luke Tardif? No. At the time, it was Randy Fossil. So, so the, the, the double I, yeah. uh, HF uh, president. Because if, like, if I'm being honest, it, it doesn't look good on your country to, to play. Because if, if the NHL guys are there, it's, it's, double digits for sure and high double digits so 
When you say high double digits, like twenty to thirty, I think. Okay. Yeah, even if it, like, because back then the narrative was that there were not going to be heritage guys. Yeah. There yeah, wasn't going to be heritage guys. It's at least twenty or thirty, which I'm yeah. And I, I always thought it wasn't a good look for China to to get pummeled at that stage. And it would look better if we withdrew, because it would be yeah, as if we were capable of admitting our own faults and being honest with ourselves. And I think that garners a certain respect from other countries. Not just from a sports perspective, but from a political perspective. But yeah, like for for me, it just it just didn't seem like a very good prospect of just being that embarrassed on that stage, you know. And obviously, it was good to find out how it turned out, which is the NHL guys didn't come, and we had heritage guys and whatever. And still, it wasn't the prettiest of scores, but I thought it looked better than it could have potentially been. Yeah, for yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like like the the final game, I think was. Uh... Well, it ended up seven two, but like a, mm. you know, a real game against a, a decent Canada side with some NHL, you know, past and future stars in there. Like it was, it was a pretty solid showing, I think. I want to ask about the Olympics and a few things on that, but like you'd already talked about kind of how you guys were in separate camps with kind of like the the mm. you know that the local players and then the North American recruits. It later came out that that some of the North Americans, well, or potentially all of them didn't even have Chinese passports. At least some of them have said this. Like, like They've said this, so I'm not the one uh, spilling the beans, right? <laughs> so what do you know about that? And like, what were people... It's like, it seems pretty bizarre. Uh, the way it was phrased by one player was they were given what he termed as a sports passport. But he didn't have to give up his previous citizenship and he could still represent... He was eligible to represent China. Was there a sense that these guys were... Again, I'm putting you on the spot here, but <laughs> was there a sense that these guys were, were were all in? Like, were they just happy to play in the Olympics? Were they kind of pulling for China? Was there a spectrum? I think even among the heritage guys, my views were very split on um, their attitudes towards the thing, which, like, there were some, I'm not going to name any players, but there were some players who spent a fair amount of time in China with Chinese blood and heritage and, and didn't bother to learn one word of Chinese. And on the, and the other side of that spectrum, there were players who didn't have a single ounce of Chinese blood who bought into the system more than far more than the other ones did. So I had a lot of respect for that. And one of the players, I, I went up to him before the first game and during warm-ups, and I just told him, um, like, I don't know, because it was weird for him because obviously his home country's on the other side. So I told him, um, like, I don't know if he felt the sort of pride that we Chinese players felt playing for China, but... I told him that I'm pretty proud of him for what he did and, and all the stuff that he gave up. And yeah, I would say the general consensus is, is that nobody bought in, if I'm being honest. For a lot of the players, it felt as if they had no real reason to say no. So they just kind of went along with it. For other players, it was, if I'm being brutally honest, I think it was for money. Not so far, not so much as we gave them money to play in the Olympics, but they wanted to build a good relationship with the club from which country that they were going to represent that would support them. Like there were a lot of players that came into the system and fell out. I'm talking about Quinlan um, who were making bizarre amounts of money that, that were far more than what they were worth. And I have to say that I'm one of those people who made probably way more than I probably should have, but certainly not on the levels that some of these guys are making. And some of these guys were, were like when we were going to clubs and getting drunk and stuff, they would say that to me face-to-face they were like oh like I, I couldn't make this money anywhere else but you know we all knew that and um 
that was the sort of the, the harsh reality behind it is that even in the locker room, you felt there was no real sense of pride. And like, it, I mean, if you were reconnecting with your roots, you got to at least learn the language a little bit. You got to at least immerse yourself in the culture a little bit. And I, I didn't see that at all in the five years that I was with this team. Clubs sometimes have like these team bonding exercises. And, you know, did you, how, well, did that kind of thing happen? Like, it sounds like you guys just weren't gelled at all. Uh, we, we had years where we tried to do team bonding and stuff, but it was always from the professional team perspective. You know, I, I think directionally speaking, when Kunlun was set up, it was meant to be this pipeline to the KHL, uh, to, to the uh, Olympics. But every year they were treated as just another team in the KHL. So we did team bonding stuff as another team in the KHL with nothing to do with China. I mean, if these players really were going to buy in, which I don't really blame them for not buying in, it, it was like this, right? So the first year, there weren't a lot of heritage guys. The second year, they all came pouring in because they saw how much money you could make from this team. And in, if you wanted to make this money, you had to at least somehow convince the management that you bought into the system. Otherwise, it wouldn't keep you around. So yeah, like there, there were guys that just, they couldn't be making this money anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to single anyone out, but they 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 are welcome to go on Twitter and yell at me, even though I don't have a Twitter account. But <laughs> they, they all have nothing to say because they know it's the truth. I mean, look, on the plus side, like who, who of the heritage people did you feel closest to? Like who did you bond with, that, you know, and have at least some kind of relationship with uh jeremy smith the goalie yeah and he learned the most chinese out of all of them and right. that's that's the thing i respect the most yeah smitty bought into him more than a lot of guys and he was like i think he was this close to actually becoming chinese right yeah but i think he has family over there and, and whatever but over the past few seasons like i met him when we were in the eighteen nineteen season and stuff and we didn't know each other that well it was this year that we really bonded and he's just not only a great player, but a great person. And he really, even though he doesn't have any Chinese heritage, he bought into it as much, as, like way more than the other players. And that earned a lot of respect from the Chinese guys. And he was one of the Chinese guys. He was one of the guys that the Chinese guys liked right. and sort of connected with. Look, I think your point goes to show that at some level, it's just still the human to human interaction. It doesn't matter where you're from or yeah. or necessarily how good you are, you know, or, or what your background is. It's like, it's like who you are as a person, you know. If all the Chinese, if all the, the, you know, your Chinese local teammates kind of really respected Jeremy Smith, you know, just because of the kind of person he was, you know, that yeah. that, that, that says a lot, I think. Yeah, and I, I, I always try to surround myself, whether on a team or in life, with these kind of people. Smitty, Smitty, as we call him. He's just, he kind of, he doesn't really play with... All the other guys either he kind of keeps to himself and he has a group of friends that he likes and he garnered a lot of respect from all the guys and he was always very open to Chinese ideas and, and um, like food for example we were in China we'd take him to Chinese restaurants and he just you know he like we saw him ordering Chinese takeout instead of like getting uh, the stuff and then well meanwhile we had other players who just ordered Waggis and Element Fresh every day and you know so uh, sounds like my daughter so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean coming from a guy who had no chinese heritage that's something that you you respect a lot just this last year has been sounds like it's just really really mm. difficult can you point to any positives in the last year any positives uh it's over and i mean look, you played at the olympics like, like what's yeah the be- obviously I mean, I mean, talk about the olympics what's the highlight there for you i think just when we were at the opening ceremony and you're walking out and seeing everything, and I made a video um, that I put online, in that moment, I feel like you really do feel like all of that stuff is worth it. 
worth it for that moment, but not worth it alone. So I, it's not something I would want to go through again. But to have gone through it for this is something that I think is worth it. And obviously, the the, the positive is that playing the Olympics is a one in a lifetime, you know, once in a lifetime experience, and we might never get to do it again. So um, I think that's obviously the biggest positive and very cliche thing to say. Um, a lot of the friends you made along the way, you know, like Smitty, who I'm going to keep in touch with probably for the rest of my life and amongst other players. And um, in my career, I, the stuff that I've been most thankful for is the people I've met. It's not really for, you know, the goals I've scored or the, the somewhat limited accolades that I do have. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's the stuff that you sort of, I look back on it kind of nostalgically and the time that I spent with some of the friends at camp and it's sort of like the silver lining in the, you know in the clouds and which which is not bad. Okay. You are think of yourself as a consultant for Chinese hockey. Yeah. Um if there's one thing that needs to change, both like what should change and 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 also like if that's just unrealistic you're like well this should change but it will never happen. Like realistically what could happen? Like how do we get things moving in the right direction? Well, I've I've been saying this for years, but I think it's tied into a far bigger topic which is you need a pipeline to, to, to develop players. It's, it's just not going to work because right now, brutally honestly speaking, the people who play hockey in China are, are people that don't want to do anything else or can't do anything else. So this is from the mouths of actual players that I've met. They said like, I, I met one guy from Chichihara. He told me that for him, it was either to go join the army or to play hockey. For another one, he said it was either for him to go work the fields or play hockey. So I'm not, they're, they're great people and I, like, I respect these guys, but that's not the sort of competition that you would want. And that's the problem is that there's no competition in China. It's, they're only these players. So they can do whatever they want, right? It's like, um, I don't know what's a good example. It's like there, there's no sense of being cut from a team. It's the same team every year and you're in the system. So there's no incentive to get better. So how do you develop that pipeline? I mean, it does so, seem that it, 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 to, there are some shoots of... You know, in Beijing, you see more kids at yeah. your younger levels. Like, there are more people playing. I see a lot of parents posting about their children playing online. Like, it, it seems to me the pipeline stops when you get to about 12, 13, 14. Yeah, exactly. But but there are there's a, there is a larger base now of younger players, I think. So I think step one is college, which I think they're starting to do. But it's, it's like a, it's not a very high-level college. And that's why I think it's tied into a bigger topic because China has at least from the admission standpoint of colleges, it's very much aimed towards academics. And I think some some people can get in based on some sort of extracurriculars, but not as widespread as the U.S. where sports is such a big thing. Because in China, you have designated sports universities, and that defeats the purpose of universities having their own teams. So I've always said that we should have a league going, kind of like the NCAA. That way players would have, like kids would have incentive when they're 14 to choose putting time and money into their extracurriculars instead of just studying because that's the easier way to get into college. And then if you can if you can get into college that way, it will become competitive because colleges would look for the best players. And then you could potentially have these players graduate and then go play pro. And then again, that would be, you would need a pro league in China. So that's what you would need. You need a the, college league and you need a pro league in China. There was one player, um, I think you know who I'm, who I'm going to be talking about, hmm. who I thought could actually change the system because he got into a good college in the U.S. He hmm. was playing for Cornell, or at least was at Cornell. Yeah. Song and Don, Misha Song, right? So yeah. for first... Nowhere to be found this time. Yeah. What happened to him? So so just for, for context, he was 
He was drafted by the Islanders. I think yeah. the first Chinese-born player to be drafted mm. um, by the NHL. But then he didn't even... I don't think he ever played for Cornell. He was for, listed on their roster for four seasons. Mm. I don't know if he had injuries or, or what, but he was like presented as the face of 2022 for the Olympics. Seven years no, ago. That, that's when, me. I'm the face. Well, well <laughs> when, when they went, when China won the bid yeah. uh, at the IOC uh, vote in 2015 in Kuala Lumpur, there were two players, two athletes that they took. Yeah. Yao Ming yeah. and Song Andong. Yeah, that's because I was on uh, I was on hiatus. Yeah, I was on vacation. I couldn't so, fly so what, what, happened, what, what um, happened to him? Um, you know, I grew up with that guy, and we were, we were really close when we were younger. But we just kind of grew apart because I went to Chicago when we went to North America, and he went to Toronto. So I haven't really kept in touch with him these past few years. Kind of just split apart. From what I know, he like you said, he was drafted. He played in the USHL for a couple of years, and he went to Cornell, and then. I heard he was bogged down by injuries. I, I don't know how realistic that is because you got to at least play a few games to get injured. That's just my opinion. But um, <laughs> it's hard to get injured during practice. Um, but yeah, we, we kept hearing that he was going to be there this season. Uh, we had a, he had his jersey at the in the locker room, but he never showed up. And the, um, I have a mutual friend with him, and he kept saying, that, oh, he'll be here next week, he'll be here next week. Just never came. Wow. So, yeah. And the last time I saw him was in 2017. He played the Chinese championships, and then he didn't play anything after that. Yeah. What now? What are you? What are, What are your plans now for the for the rest of this year and, and for the foreseeable future? Get treatment first, fix my uh, injury, and then I'm probably going to play in the Chinese championships uh, for Team Beijing, and then we'll see about next season. Like I said, I'm undecided. I'm not. I'm not for sure retiring or uh, even considering retirement, but. I think it's time to be realistic with myself. And I figured that capping off my career at the Olympics is not a bad thing. And um, if I weren't to play hockey, I'm probably going to move into the film business. I want to be a director. Now, that reminds me of someone else uh, that you might know. Can you tell us about your father? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, my dad's a, a sitcom director in China. He was the one who brought sitcoms into China. And so yeah, that's his that's his thing. But I want to be I want to do movies and I want to do yeah, I want to be a movie director. So obviously I can learn a lot from my dad and he's he's going to help me out a lot, but it's somewhat different directions and I think I was obviously influenced by that growing up and just kind of being around movie sets and and I've always had a love for movies and I shouldn't say that. I I've always had a love for storytelling and I think the best way to do that is through movies because I I can't write a book. I tried writing a book when I was a kid. Didn't turn out very well. Hey, so there's yeah, still time. Yeah, there's still time, but <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think I got to do a lot of homework. I got to go study cinematography and and acting. And I have a short film that I would like to 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 do in the foreseeable future. But yeah, that's that's my plan. Well, we wish you the very best of luck, and thank yeah. you so much for for talking with us. Yeah, no problem. Well, that's the show this week. I hope you enjoyed it, uh, Mark. Where can people find you? Uh, Twitter is always a good bet. Uh, Dryer China or uh, look at Amazon for Sporting Superfat Easter Week Special. <laughs> I do encourage that as well. And on Twitter, I am at Haig Valian. We will be back next week. Talk to you then. <laughs>